I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, it's funny, while you're turning there, we're going to spend, we're going to read a lot of this. Right now, we'll just open with one scripture, then we'll, we'll add to it as we go. My next door neighbor, I was outside trimming some bushes yesterday. Uh, while, while the ladies were up here praying, it was a good time for me to get a few little projects done. And uh, he, he came over and said, well, you know, I have a pole saw if you ever want to use that. And we got to chatting and and I don't know how it came up, but, but within 30 seconds, we were talking about Israel and end times events. And he's a believer. And I, I said, I've always heard, and I believe it, that if you want to know how close we are, look at Israel. God, you're going to see it in Israel. You're going to see God's prophecies fulfilled in Israel and concerning Israel and the nations coming against Israel. And so it's not just some little side note. It's the main note. When it comes to end times events, Israel and what God does with Israel and, and uh, how the people are, are towards Israel and, and, uh, is, is a good indication of where we are. And he said, man, I keep waking up every day thinking this is going to be the day. Like he's going to go. So I said, well, you're right to think that. We ought to live that way, amen. We ought to live that every day is that day, the day, the rapture of the church and so forth. I want you to turn with me. Uh, if you're there in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to read just verse, verses 6 and 7. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Amen? And so there's a contrast here. Just like in the Psalms, we've seen a real contrast between the wicked and the righteous and those that trust God and those that uh, disregard the Lord completely. Here we're said that, that we, we're, let us not sleep, in verse 6, as do others, let us watch and be sober. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken, uh, be drunken or drunken in the night. And I want to talk about that, that verse, that second one, verse 7, for just a moment. They that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. This characterizes men's lives. In the last days. It's not the only days, but it definitely characterizes men's lives in the last days. There are those that are awake and are watching and are sober, and there are those that are asleep and drunk, so to speak. And I don't think it's just physical drunkenness, although I think it would include that. But this would be men's lives whose lives are characterized by sleeping and drunkenness when they could and should be alert and sober. It's, it's one or the other. Their, their lives are characterized by sleeping and drunkenness when they could and should be spiritually awake and sober. Just, just to, you know, this, this kind of theme is throughout the Bible that the drunkards, so to speak, and those that, that love their sin, they love the night. I have nothing against the night. I love nighttime and lighting a campfire or something like that, getting a good night's rest. But the, the, the drunkards and those that are wicked, they love the darkness. They can't wait for darkness to come and night to come so they can plunge into their sin and, and enjoy it more, so to speak. Uh, they, they think that they can partake in their sin more freely and seemingly more secretly. How many of you know it's not a secret to God? The things you and I do in secret that are sinful or would do, the things that the sinners do repeatedly that don't know the Lord, that they think is in secret, and they want to do it under the cover of darkness. Psalm 139 says, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, to the Lord. People may hide sins from you and me, and we might hide it from others, and lost people may hide their sins from others, but the Lord knows it all. But the drunkards love the night. And the Bible says it when, when we talked about Judas last week, betraying the Lord and selling him out. It says he, he having received the sop or the bread with the Lord at the Last Supper, Judas immediately went out and it was night. I think there is something significant to that. I don't want to read too much into it. But the Bible speaks about sin and darkness and night as opposed to the light in the daytime. And spiritual darkness, y'all, is the worst type of darkness of all. Spiritual darkness. Nothing wrong with the night. God gives us a day and he gives us a night to rest. 
but spiritual darkness is something he wants to deliver men out of and that he can deliver men out of if they will but turn to him. He talks about men groping for the Lord as in darkness, and yet he wants to save men. If they were happily turned to him, it says in the book of Acts, and turned to him, they would be saved. But spiritual darkness is characterized by men that are in sin. They love their sin. They're in bondage to their sin, and they're blinded by their sin. They love it. Okay, there are people that, that just love it. I want to read this. You don't have to turn there for time's sakes. John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation, Jesus said to Nicodemus, that light has come into the world. Christ, the light of the world. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it or overcame it not. That This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Not all men. But men as a whole love dark. They want to stay in the light. Don't save me. Don't get me out of my sin. I like it. I want to stay right here. I'm happy right here. They're fools. They're foolish because they don't see. They don't see the consequences of their sin. And they don't see the goodness nor care about the goodness and kindness of God. But the condemnation is that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken, be drunken in the night. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. How about that? They hate it. This is not speaking about the Lord. This is speaking about men and their wickedness and their sin. The light has come, right? And everyone that does evil as a pattern and practices evil hates the light. Neither cometh to the light. Well, they could, but they don't. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So what is the darkness that men love darkness rather than light? That word darkness that Jesus is speaking in John 3 means shadiness, obscurity, or full of darkness. Full of darkness. I'll give an example. Jesus said the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But with thy, when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. It's a, it's a being full of darkness, okay? Full of darkness. And this is the moral darkness that we're speaking of. So back in 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to back up. And I want to go back to chapter 5, verses, we'll start in verse 1. But of the times... And the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. So we understand, believers understand the times and the seasons. We are, we're supposed to. We're not to be ignorant of these things. Of the times and of the seasons. What is he talking about? Well, it's fall. It was officially fall a few weeks back, right? That's not what he's talking about. Spiritual seasons, spiritual, spiritual times. Where are we on God's calendar? Where are we on God's timetable? He has a timetable. He dwells outside of time, but creation is within time, okay? And there was in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and there is an ending to uh, when when Christ will be all in all, when it's the consummation of all things, okay? And the just shall be just, and let him that is just be just still, and the righteous righteous still, and the wicked are going to stay wicked still. Between now and then, people can change. Between now and then, people are being saved and can be saved. But there's coming a time when it's settled, and it's over, and there's no more uh, space of grace. And the Lord in his long suffering is patient, not willing that any should suffer. But there is coming an end to it all. Where are we on that timetable? Here's creation. And on the sixth day, God created Adam and Eve, Adam and so forth. Where, where are we on this timetable? Here's the cross, okay, where Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose again in power and ascended to the right hand of the Father and promised. And the angels said, you men of, of, of Galilee, why are you standing up? Uh, staring at this Jesus as he goes into the clouds. This same Jesus is coming back in like manner. Behold, he cometh, and every eye shall behold him and see him. He's coming. That's the second coming of the Lord. Where are we in this grand scheme of God's plan? There's no changing it. It's going to happen like he said. Whether somebody believes or doesn't believe is not going to change it being fulfilled. 
It's going to happen. And this is what we're talking about tonight. But the believers, we're not in darkness. We shouldn't be unaware of these things. We ought to study to show ourselves approved like we heard in Sunday school. David, I had just read this as well recently that Jordan or Patricia would have mentioned it, that uh, the kings, one of the requirements of the kings was to write out the law. I just read that this week. You know, with, to write it out. That, they weren't a priest. They weren't a Levite. The king was a king and a priest was a priest in the Old Testament. David was not a priest, but he was a worshiper of God. And it was a good requirement to have the kings who were going to shepherd God's people write out God's holy law. So they themselves would know it. They would copy it, however long that took. And in copying, I'm sure they would learn it better. Now, whether they heeded it or not was up to them their own hearts. But anyway, we're not ignorant of these things. So look back. Of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, and yet he's going to write unto us anyway. Because the Lord reminds us over and over and over again. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Repetition is not a bad thing. Because it provokes us. It provokes us. We learn. We get a little better. In sports, you get a little better. Somebody with a golf swing or somebody with a baseball swing. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Re over and over and over and over again. And so, how much more spiritually in the things of God? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. What is the day of the Lord? Well, there's not just one day of the Lord. There was a day of the Lord when uh, Babylon invaded Israel. God had prophesied about it and told them that if they didn't repent, this was going to send them into captivity. He told them the nation and everybody that was going to do it, and they refused to heed. Well, the day of the Lord came. It wasn't just a 24-hour period. It was that time of judgment that had been prophesied. Well, the day of the Lord, what are we waiting for now? We're not waiting for a Babylonian captivity. We're not even waiting for Jesus to come and be born in a manger and, and rise and go to the cross for the sins of the world. We're not waiting for the day of Pentecost. What are we waiting for now? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, to me, oh, I believe what is being taught here is, the, is what is future. What is yet to come, it was future in Paul's day when he wrote this by the anointing inspiration of the Holy Spirit and its future in our day. The first little domino to fall is going to be the rapture. I'm talking about big events. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and Ezekiel's war and different things, you know, we could study and look at. But the next big thing concerning the church will be the rapture of the church. You, we can, in one sense, there are different events in the end times events. But in one sense, you can, it's not wrong to look at it all as future and, and the coming of the Lord. So understand what I mean. I know there's a difference between a rapture and the second coming. But the day of the Lord is still future. And that day when those dominoes start falling, it's not just a 24-hour day. It is those events, one after the other, just falling and boom, boom, boom. There's a specific clock that's ticking. It is a specific seven-year period of tribulation on this earth to, uh, as a time of Jacob's trouble that's going to follow the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ shall rise first at the rapture. They that are alive and remain, that would be us if we're still living. If the rapture happened today, we could be in the middle of church and singing Jesus, you know, Son of God and Son of Man, and we're raptured, okay? The dead in Christ shall rise first. I think it's just moments before, but they're going to rise first in their bodies, and they'll receive glorified bodies. The spirits and souls of those people that died in Christ are already with the Lord in heaven. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But the rapture, their bodies are going to be raised incorruptible and fit for heaven, a new body like unto our Lord's body. He's the first fruits of that resurrection and that resurrected body. Then we which are alive and remain, we're still living and breathing. We're caught up to meet those people, other saints of God, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's no more changing for us. Oh, there's lots that's going to go on, but we're not coming back here in the same body again. Okay, we're going to be glorified. So that's the first domino, so to speak, that's going to fall. What, what is right on the heels of that, whether it's that moment or whether it's a few days later? I think it's going to be right there, okay? The tribulation period, seven years Halfway through, it's going to all be horrible. The whole thing's going to be horrible for people on this earth. But some people are going to be being saved. God's going to have his witnesses. And the 144,000 male Jews that are going to be, uh, that are Christian Jews, they're going to be preaching this gospel. 12,000 from every tribe. 
there are going to be angels flying through the atmosphere saying, repent for the, the wrath of God and the great day of his wrath is here. And uh, people are going to be saved. It's going to be horrible, though, because they're horrible in the sense, not that they're saved, horrible in the sense of they're, they're going to be martyred. Okay, there are tribulation martyrs and there's a special crown for tribulation martyrs. Halfway through that period on the Jewish calendar of seven years is going to be the the unveiling of the Antichrist and him coming and setting himself up as God in the temple. So there will be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem as God demanding to be worshipped as God. He will have the Antichrist who is his man uh, and he will he will have the. I'm sorry, he, the Antichrist is the man. He will have his right-hand man, the false prophet, who will do lying signs and wonders in the presence of the beast or the Antichrist. And people are going to be deceived and have to take his mark or they can't buy or sell or they're going to be killed if they don't take his mark. And the Lord says, you're going to be damned if you do take his mark. And that, that's the choice that people are going to have, period. So I know I'm talking about a, a lot of these things that maybe I didn't intend to, but we're not ignorant of these things. And we're not to be ignorant of these things. You don't have to be an expert on uh, end times events. Every time I've read and studied Revelation, heard it taught or taught it myself, I learned a little bit more. Okay, I could go back over today and start reading the 22 chapters of studying it verse by verse and learn something and come to a better understanding than I had before. But I understand enough to know what we're looking for. And the times that he's speaking of. So he says, yourselves know, verse 2, perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Think about that, that little phrase, thief in the night. It's used repeatedly in the scriptures and it's used repeatedly when it comes to this day and end times events. So I just want to read a few scriptures to you from Matthew. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 is where what's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age and so forth. When are all these things going to happen? And the Lord says, number one, Matthew 26, 4, I believe, take heed that no man deceive you. Then he goes and talks in this whole chapter. Many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ. Hello, here's Christ. There's Christ. He's in a desert place. He's in a chamber. Don't go after him. You don't have to worry about that. Well, I wonder if he's going to come in the desert. I wonder if that's him. He says, as the lightning shines from one side of the sky to the, to the other and everybody sees it, Revelation 1, every eye shall behold him. It's not going to be a secret. The second coming of the Lord is no secret. Okay, We as the church will already be with the Lord because we'll be raptured prior to this time. But he says there's a thief in the night. Just listen to these verses. This is from Matthew 24. I'm skipping around uh, towards the end of this chapter. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he skips and he gives a description. This is what he compares it to, the day of the Lord that's going to come as a thief in the night. All right? They knew not. This was the people in Noah's day. Have you ever tried to picture what that was like? The whole earth had corrupted themselves, the Bible says. The world was filled with violence and sin and wickedness. Everybody, every human being on the planet, not only sinners, but they just had corrupted themselves in sin. But there's a man named Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's a man named Noah. The Lord speaks to him and says, Thee have I seen righteous in, your gener in this generation. He says, I'm going to preserve you on the ark, and I'm going to destroy this world with a flood. So here's Jesus speaking about the thief in the night, as a thief in the night, the day of the Lord that is to come. That was a day of the Lord, the flood. He says they knew not, the people, they knew not until the flood came. That's such a sobering thought. Just picture what it was like. There's families and children and people playing and doing things and working and in the field. They knew not. Could have known because there was a man named Noah who was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years and built in the ark, preached righteousness. They could have known. They should have known. They have a conscience, right? Just like Noah had. They could have known and believed. But they knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So if you're going to group the whole thing together, rapture, tribulation, second coming, or just talk about the second coming, He's coming. 
And that's gonna, it's going to come as a thief in the night. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in a such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. The people in Noah's day were unaware that day and that flood caught them off guard. It caught them. They were happy in their sin and darkness. They were oblivious to their sin and the judgment of God. They probably weren't oblivious to their sin. They were oblivious to the judgment of a holy God that was knocking at the door. It was imminent. They were unprepared. Peter says in 2 Timothy, there's a lot of passages that sort of repeat themselves. Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And the mockers and scoffers say, where's the sign of his coming? All things have continued the way they were from the time of our fathers. They're wrong. I know I say this all the time, we're wrong. Have they forgotten about the flood? Things don't continue the way they are. God brings judgment. He promised never to judge the world with a flood again, but you you could say that was not an everyday occurrence. All things, where's the promise of his coming? There is no sign of the Lord's coming. He says, but the day of the Lord will come. It is coming. You know people that are lost? You want to talk to them about Jesus? Because the day of the Lord will come. And it's going to come as a thief in the night. We'll be raptured in the tribulation. Guess what accompanies the tribulation? A great deception. Think people are deceived now? What about when the Lord himself sends a delusion that they actually believe the lie that Antichrist is Christ? They believe it. And they'll take his mark. And there's no, no repenting after that. It's important, to say the least, it's important. That day is coming, okay? And as believers, we, we should know the times and the seasons. Again, you don't have to be an expert. I'm, I'm going to read this from 1 Chronicles 12. And the children of Issachar, you know, different 12s of, of the 12 tribes of Israel, the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. Have you ever heard that scripture before? That's, an, that's a compliment. That's a good thing. In First Chronicles 12, the, the children of Issachar were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We ought to be men and women of understanding in the church of God to know what the church of Jesus Christ in this hour... Not 20 years from now and not 20 years ago. In this hour, what we ought to do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to keep reading. For when they shall say peace and safety. Who are they? That's the people that are in darkness. That sleep, they're sleeping and characterized by drunkenness, moral darkness. They don't know the Lord and for the most part don't want to know the Lord. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This is very sober in this morning. We're going to read some more encouraging things for us. It's the same event. I was talking to my neighbor about this yesterday. The same event. Like I have dear people that are dear to me that don't know Christ. I've lost loved ones. Everybody in this room has lost loved ones. And so there's this, when that event comes, you're thinking about them and and how horrible it's going to be. And then what follows that? Eternal separation from God if they don't repent. Then you think about yourself, in a sense, in the church of God, and there's a hope because we're going to be raptured and taken out of here. It's the same event, but how it it affects people based on their faith in Christ or rejection of Christ. But he says, when they shall say, peace and safety... Okay, now with all the talk of Israel and the attacks from uh, Hamas and so forth over there that are real, that are going on now, there's still a lot of talk of peace. People have been talking about peace, right? It was going to be the League of Nations was going to do it. And then NATO was going to do it. And the UN was going to do it. And the World Council of Churches was going to bring peace through understanding and you know, cooperation of the world's churches. And on and on and on. There's gun safety. We want, we're going to peace and safety. We're going to take your guns from you and you'll be safe then. How many of you believe that? 
peace and safety. When the world's saying, a world that doesn't know the Lord is saying peace and safety, and there's treaties, and there's sitting down, and there's dialogue, and there's acceptance of all beliefs and behaviors, and there's globalism, and there's push for income equality globally, and there's social justice, and uh, environment, peace with the environment and mother nature, and we could go on and on. All the time, these same people are living in open rebellion to Almighty God. Peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. When they that don't know the Lord are talking about peace and safety and, and so forth, and all the while living in outright and utter rebellion to their creator, to Almighty God that made them and living in defiance to Him and to His laws and to His holiness, utter rejection of Him and of the Son of God, then sudden destruction. It's going to take them as a thief in the night. We're not going to be caught unawares. They are. We need to tell them. They might listen, they might not. Sudden destruction. Sudden means unexpected, unapparent. It's not, that's the definition of the word. Unapparent. You just don't see it. Bam. Where did that come from? Well, it came from right here. And the Lord's promised it and prophesied it for years and years. He told us to be on guard. And he told us the signs and the seasons so we would know what's going on. And where we are on this, his calendar of events and so forth. Sudden destruction. This God that they hated. This God that they refuse to believe in and worship and honor and serve is coming. I'm excited about it. I look forward to it. A lost man, it's going to come as a thief in the night. It will be sudden destruction. This God is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And when he comes back on a white horse at the end of the tribulation, he's coming in righteousness to judge and to make war. I'm not making it out to be something it's not. He's coming with the sword. The sword is probably the word of God coming from his mouth. Sudden destruction, it means ruin, death, punishment. I just want to read this from 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, 8. You who are troubled, Paul says in the church in Thessalonica, there were people that were being persecuted, right? People in our day are being persecuted. You who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the one thing that separates you and me from a world that is not necessarily their murder or their, their lusting or their different sins or stealing. It, it, that's a fruit of their wicked lives. We were, such were some of you, Paul says. Such were some of me, okay? These are that, that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They still know not God, and they obey not the gospel of our, the Lord Jesus Christ. They could be saved. They still can be saved if they're living and breathing on this earth. But that day is going to come upon them as a thief in the night. Let's keep reading. But ye brethren, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, be, ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should take, overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light. Who's he writing to? The church in Thessalonica. The believers. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Okay, so we are not. He's making a factual, spiritual statement. We're not of the darkness. We're not of the night. That is not us. Okay? We were. Everybody in this room that's saved, and the young people that were saved as children were spared a lot of life of sin. Hallelujah for that. But everybody in this room, we were the children of darkness. We were, you had the quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before, who before, it says we walked in according to the course of this world, the God of this world, in darkness and in fulfilling the lust of the flesh. 
Every one of us, before we were saved, were in spiritual darkness. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes darkness are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. That's a profound statement. It's a short scripture. Ephesians 5, 8. Ye were sometimes darkness. But now are you light in the Lord. Well, that's just a fact. But then there's an admonition. Walk as children of light. How many of you know there's a walk in the light that accompanies this life in Christ? There's a walk that goes along with it. It's not just an entry in an accounting book from from being unjust to just and unrighteous to righteous. Hallelujah for that. That, that we are. We're counted righteous. We're robed in righteousness of Christ. We're justified freely by his grace and, and so forth. There's a life that accompanies that now. You were darkness. Now are you children of the light. Walk as children of light. Okay, so we're admonished to walk in that. We were darkness and we were in darkness, but as children of the light, that day, the return of the Lord, and I would say all that, all that precedes it, which we've talked about, the rapture and, and uh, there's a falling away and deception in the end times and then a tribulation period of seven years and the return of Christ. We are not as children of light in darkness that that day should overtake us as a thief. It should not. It should not. That day should not overtake us as the thief. That word overtake means to seize, to take possession, to amaze. Remember, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to overtake them. What does overtake mean? That day, seize, to take, to possess, to amaze, to get hold of in a violent way. Am I this ridiculing and mocking now? The Lord and Christians and the Bible and Christianity and that old, out-of-dated, out-of-use religion that they would say. And that philosophy and mindset that is so far gone and so far, we've evolved so far past that. It's going to overtake them and seize them if they don't repent before in a violent way. And there'll be no escape. But it's not going to overtake us and it should not overtake us. The church of Jesus Christ in this hour should not be unprepared. We should not be taken off guard, not just by the, um, the coming of the Lord, but by all the things that are leading up to it and all that precedes, up, precedes it. We should not be taken off guard. It's going to come soon to pass upon the earth. Again, you can say, well, you preachers have been talking about that forever. I remember Brother Clendenin uh, saying, 20 years ago, I don't know if it's 20, but 15, 18, 20, I think I've hung my last calendar. I remember him saying that because he thought the rapture was coming that year. Well, would you, would you call him a fool because he believed that? No, I'd say he's very wise because he's not, not going to catch him unaware. He lived like he believed it. He lived in hope of the rapture and all the things. He saw the signs of the times. Do we see more of them now? Yes. See them at a greater intensity? Yes. Everything that was 20 years ago is more intense now in a sinful, dark way. We're seeing the signs. It's not wrong, and he's not foolish to live that way. We're told to live that way. Absolutely instructed to live that way. You live as though the Lord is coming back today, this moment, this morning. How would we live differently if we knew that? Well, I'm going to heaven either way. Amen. But how would you live differently if you knew you were going to stand before the Lord face to face in the next breath you take? I think there would be some changes in all of our lives. And I know you've heard that thought before, but we need to be reminded of it. Okay. We have been warned by the word of God. We have been taught. We've been reminded and reminded again and instructed by the word of God, taught by the spirit of truth. As believers in these last days, we're not to be caught off guard. We're not to be caught unawares, off guard. We are not left unprepared. We're not left unhelped. And we are not left alone. The Lord is with us. You're not alone in this hour. And you're not alone as a Christian in this hour. Even if you were the only Christian on the earth in this hour, you're not alone. Because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Our God is with us, and guess what? Our God is coming for us. Oh, you just believe in that escapist mentality. Yes, I do. Absolutely do. 
If I die for the Lord here on the earth, I'm going to heaven. If I just grow old and die, I'm going to heaven. But I'm looking for the rapture of the church of the living God. When the dead in Christ rise first, and they which are alive and remain, if that's we, will be caught up to meet them in the clouds. The Lord is telling us, and he's telling us again this morning, so that we'll be prepared. You might not have heard one scripture, one thought from this pulpit this morning that you didn't already know. That's okay. It is, but God wants us to lay hold on it. He wants us to live it. He wants us to think about it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he's telling his disciples about the characteristics of the end times, and as it closes in on his return, he talked about Noah, and he says, Behold, I've told you before. A little short script, Behold, I've told you beforehand. I'm telling you. It's important. The Lord's saying, I told you. So you're not going to be unprepared for this. And the Lord is telling us this morning, okay, what is he telling us? He's telling us uh, the characteristics of these last days. Just in a, in a light, even a, a casual understanding of your Bible, would you say that this characterizes what we're seeing now in 2023 globally characterizes what the Bible says as we get close to the, the return of the Lord? Yes. Yes. But there's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always been people whose love has grown cold and the love of many a wax cold. Yes, there's always been that. Since the Garden of Eden, there's been that. But it does it characterize our times more now than ever before on a global scale? The whole world, yes, it does. We are in these days. He's told us the characteristics of these last days before Christ's return in the day of the Lord. He has told us the things that shall soon come to pass. You know what else he's told us? What manner of men? Seeing that this world, that all these things shall be dissolved. We'd have to study 2 Peter 3. But we're not doing that now, but he's talking about the same thing. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. Not a flood, a fire. A fire that, that heats up the whole earth to where atoms themselves are changed. The foundations of the earth are going to be uh, moved and melted. That's speaking about the very basic building blocks of creation. That they're going to be refined with fire. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? and all holy conversation and godliness hastening his appearing. So not only are we told the characteristics of the events and the events that are about to happen, we are told specifically as believers that we're not in darkness, and you ought to live a holy life, and I ought to live a holy life. What manner of persons ought you to be? I don't know. I should, be, should I be afraid? Should I be combative? Should I, should I hunker down with my guns and ammo and, and food rations? What should I do and be in this hour? Holy in all manner of conversation. Our light shining that a lost world might see. If we're martyred for the Lord, then we're martyred for the Lord. To live is, is Christ and to die is gain. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, Peter says, that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. That is just a holiness and a, and a godly lifestyle. How am I found without blame and spotless in Christ? By being in Christ and under his blood and being in the altar where I'm search me, O God, and know me and, and change me. I'm going to bring this to a close, but the sleepers, many in the church, many in the church, the sleepers continue sleeping on and the drunkards continue in their drunkenness but the children of light, in verse 5, says, You are of the children of the light. We're not of the darkness. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Sober. If there's one thing that we were left with this morning, it would be this as Christians. Okay? Do, there's a lot of stuff we don't know and don't understand, but we're to watch and be sober. We're to know the word of God. We're to know what the hope of the church is. I admonish you, and the Lord would... Admonish us, admonish us all, don't allow yourself to fall asleep. Don't allow yourself to take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Don't allow yourself to be overtaken in sin or allow yourself to be overtaken by the temporal cares and concerns of this life. I think a lot of times that's the one that would get us more than just outright blatant sin and rebellion and wickedness. Don't allow yourself to be 
overtaken by the cares of, and concerns of this life. God knows what you have need of before you ask him. He will take care of your needs if you put him first and seek him first. Don't allow your, your love for Christ to grow cold. Don't leave your first love. Don't allow the devil to get a foothold in your life. Don't allow the, foothold to get a, 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 the devil to get a foothold in your family, in your church. Don't allow your faith in Almighty God to slip away, fade away somehow. I don't know. I used to really believe, and what's happened now? I kind of drifted. What well, is a drift? It's a drift. It slips. Hebrews 2 talks about it. We neglect so great a salvation and let it slip. It can slip, absolutely. Can you come back to the Lord? Yes. You slip so far, sometimes you don't want to come back to the Lord. We're told to, to be awake and sober. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Stay in the word. We're going home soon. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe it also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and pre to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's all about being with the Lord. And he's coming for us. Amen. He's coming for us. We are in this world, but not of the world. How do we know these things? From the word of God. From the Bible. And the Holy Spirit teaching us and giving us understanding. We're in the world, but no longer of the world. So I'm going to close with, from reading, uh, in, at least in Thessalonians, skip down to verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. I don't care how you chop it up and dissect it and look at it. I don't see any teaching that a child of God that's born of the Spirit of God would then be appointed to the wrath of God after we're saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, right? That, that condemnation, we're not appointed to that wrath. We're not set to it. That's what that means. We're not set and designated for the wrath of God. I have to say this because you say, well, you just think Christians are going to have, uh, everybody else has to suffer and Christians don't. That's not what I'm saying. Christians suffer and Christians suffer persecution and the world doesn't even suffer for being a Christian. Persecution is not the wrath of God. Persecution is persecution. Which he says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution and wrath are two different things. Persecution is persecution that we're living for Christ in an unchrist like world. And we're persecuted for it to whatever degree, even unto death. Because the world hates you. Because it hates the God that we serve and the word that we believe. It hates it and hates him. And so we suffer because of that. That is not the wrath of God. That is suffering that all Christians go through to some extent or the other. In heaven, we won't go through it anymore. The wrath of God is the direct punishment of God poured out upon ungodliness. Why would he pour that on you? You came to him humbly and say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Have mercy upon me. I was so wrong. I give my life to Christ. Yeah, but I'm going to pour out my wrath upon you anyway. He doesn't do that. He's not going to do that. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain, obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, as living in Christ or dead in Christ, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. This was an admonition. It was a reminder of, of keeping our eyes on the Lord. I was telling my neighbor, you know, how close, he said, how close do you think we are? I said, I don't really know. But I'll tell you what, we're 2,000 years closer than, than the church was when the Bible was written and these epistles were written. written. We're 2,000 years closer, right? So we're closer than they were. I'm going to bring this to a close, but in this day and hour, I'm going to give you a charge from the Lord, and this charge is for me as well. We're going to believe and do all that the Lord saved us to be, to be and do. I want to be everything that he saved me for and equipped me for and called me to. I'm going to do all of it by the grace of God. We're not going to shrink back or go back. We're not going to give up or shut up or lighten up. We're not going to settle down or back down. We're not going to compromise or hide our lights under a bushel. 
or quit gathering or praying or proclaiming the good news. We're not going to quit believing this Christ or his gospel. We will, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Ghost, serve him faithfully in this hour. We will represent him rightly before men. We will love him and love his body fervently as he tells us to. We will trust him completely. Many in the church today, in the church today, are sleeping. Not all. And I pray you're not. If you are, let this be your wake-up call. Let it be your wake-up call. Many are sleeping. Many today in our churches, and I'm not saying they're not brothers in Christ, and they're not my enemy. I'm saying many of the churches today don't no longer believe in the rapture of the church. They never talk about the rapture of the church. It's not on their radar. It's not in their uh, teachings or preachings. It's not something they think about. They've shoved it out. They don't talk about end times things very much. They sure don't talk about a rapture, and they sure don't talk about a rapture being imminent when it could happen at any moment. That's what it means. And yet I'm told in Titus that it's a blessed hope of the church. It's a hope. I don't want to leave it out. I don't want to put it on the sideline. Well, you know, and I'm not ridiculing. I did this. And, you know, uh, scholars don't actually, a lot of scholars don't actually believe in the rapture. Uh, They say it's a fairly new teaching that's come around just in a few hundred years. No, I have it taught right here. (laughs) I have it taught right here. From the eternal spirit who wrote the word of God and wants me to know it. You know, my pastor doesn't actually teach the rapture or preach the rapture. He says if it's it's okay if I want to believe in it. But he doesn't really preach or teach it. Doesn't feel strongly about it one way or another. This is not, that's not a blessed hope. It's robbing people of a blessed hope. Many of the church believe that, that we're actually in the millennium now. So what's all the fuss about a rapture and a, a tribulation and a second coming? We're in the millennium now. Our millennialist negates the millennium. It's not literal. It's just a spiritual, figurative moment of time. But even so, we're not in the, tr- the millennium, by the way. But even so... The description of the millennium, the lion and the, and the lamb are going to lay down together and they're going to beat their, uh, their swords into to plows and pruning, you know, hooks. And they're going to beat their instruments of war and make them into instruments of farming. Is that where we are now? Is that what's happening now? Is Satan bound in a pit with no influence upon the earth and men's lives today? Absolutely not. But that's the description of the millennium. Okay. What am I saying? I'm not ridiculing. I'm simply saying it's a wrong teaching and it robs people. And they say uh, they're not looking for an imminent return of the Lord. Therefore, they're not, there's no sense of urgency in their lives about getting holy. Personally, personal holiness. I'm saved. You know, I'm trying to do my best kind of thing. But there's no urgency to pursue after holiness, which the Bible says in Hebrews. Seek after it. There's no urgency in men's lives to reach their lost loved ones or strangers for the Lord because they don't think anything's they can't Christ can't come because uh, one, one philosophy in the church is that we're, we're in the millennium and it's our responsibility to get the earth ready and we have to bring everybody under the laws of Christ and subject them to the laws of Christ and get them to get them to behave in a Christ-like way and then Jesus can come back show me that verse how can you behave right if you're not born again How can you submit to the laws and teachings of Christ, a holy God, when you yourself are unholy and not born of his spirit? It's impossible. But we have to get the earth Christianized to the extent where Jesus, take over here, here we'll hand you the keys, Jesus. You can come now. We've got it all prepared for you. There's not a scripture in the Bible that tells me that. He's coming. When he comes, he'll set it in order. When he comes, he'll rule with a rod of iron. What's the point? The point is that we're to watch and be sober. These things are going to come to pass. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We're not in drunkenness. I'm going to close with a a couple of scriptures. In Luke chapter 21, 34 and 5. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. So that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare, as a trap, 
they will catch a bird, perhaps, for as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the earth, the face of the whole earth. The coming of the Lord to set up certain power and glory and to set up his, his thousand-year reign should not be a snare to us. It ought to be a joy to us, okay? We will be with him first and come back with him. But don't be overtaken, he says, with surfeiting. What's that mean? Where it means it means drunkenness, gluttony, debauchery, and just cares of this life. We're to watch and be sober. Watch. Just keep your spiritual eyes open. Keep your spiritual eyes open. I'm not, our hope is not an election. I thank God for godly people and leadership, and I want to vote for them and have that responsibility and that privilege. But my answer is not in any position of office. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If all the people I vote for win or all of them lose. You might have dozed off. Well, let this be your wake-up call. Daniel said, the Lord is speaking to Daniel, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. He's talking about end times things that are coming upon this earth. D, you can come. I want you to stand with me. There's so many scriptures that we could read with this. I want to close while you're standing. The altar's open even now if you want to come. I mentioned Matthew 24, right? The Olivet Discourse. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give him meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. That's all I want to say this morning. That's all the Lord would have us to say. We want to be that wise and faithful servant of the Lord. We're already saved. We're already washed in the blood of Jesus. We're already going to heaven when we die. That's not the question. The question is, am I serving him faithfully until he comes? Am I going to be a wise and faithful servant or am I going to be sleeping and that day catch me unaware and I get to heaven and I've got a million regrets. Oh, I should have, could have, would have, I wish I had. He wants us to be awake and alert. He wants me and he wants you to live in, in, in light of the rapture and in light of the day of the Lord that's going to come upon this earth. And these altars are open.